Well, Ephesians chapter five is where we're gonna be. We're closing out this series, In Him We Do. Um, we're gonna come back to Ephesians in a few months uh, from now, but this is the close of this section that we're gonna be in. And um, as you're turning there, let me just tell you about my favorite missionary of all time. There's a man by the name of C.T. Studd, which one of the things I love about him is his last name. That's the coolest last name ever. Um, literally, he is a stud of a missionary. He, he was amazing. And so C.T. grew up in uh, a non-Christian home, very wealthy father who was a farmer and um, very, very wealthy. His father came to know Christ while C.T. was in college. And uh, shortly after, his dad's whole life was changed by Jesus, began to use his wealth to make much of Jesus and uh, just lived a, a radically different life. Eventually, C.T. and his brother both gave their life to Jesus while in college, and it changed both of their lives. Now, one of the things about uh, C.T. that we learn in history is that he was a professional athlete. He played cricket. Cricket would have been, you know, the baseball of his day. It was the sport, and he was one of the most famous players in the world. Um, he played professionally, traveled the world. He was an elite player. And he, in his testimony, says, even though I knew Christ, I was still living for me. Uh, cricket was an idol in my life. And as he began to watch his father and the way Jesus transformed what his dad was living for, eventually after his father's death, um, his, his life then was, was uh, radically transformed. Even though he knew Jesus, all of a sudden, Jesus became the priority of his life, and it, it just changed everything. He went from playing cricket for, for fame and for fortune and for all the things that a lot of times professional athletes play for. He said, now I begin to realize that I wanted to play for Jesus, and I begin to leverage the platform that I was on as an athlete to win my friends to Christ, to teammates to Christ. Everywhere I went, Jesus was the focus, and as that transformed, eventually he realized that he needed to stop playing professional sports and begin to live as a missionary. So he began to prepare uh, for life on mission. And he eventually left with six other college students. These, these seven college students were known as the Cambridge Seven, the Cambridge Seven. And they went to China because they felt compelled to go to some of the hard uh, areas of the world to take Jesus and as he got there, he began to give away the family fortune that was now in he and his brother's control and began to give it away for Jesus. People began to wonder, you sacrifice your athletic career, you're sacrificing your, your finances. Why are you doing this? And this is one of the things that he said. He says, if Christ be God and he gave his life for me, then there is no sacrifice that I make for him that's too great. And he began to just exhaust his life, going to the hardest uh, areas in the world, South America, uh, Africa, South Africa, East Africa. He went to Asia, all over the world, taking the good news of Jesus. And he had a heartbeat of going to the hardest places of the world. And I love one of the quotes that he says uh, about that. He says, some, listen to this, some wish to live within the sound of a chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Isn't that great? Some people want to live a life that's safe, it's easy, it's comfortable. I want to go to the hardest places of the world, and I want to, I want to set up a rescue shop there. So this is a man that, one of the reasons I love him, he lived with an obsession, and that obsession was, I want to make the greatest kingdom impact that I can make. I want to leverage my life, leverage my resources, leverage my kingdom platform to make the most I can possibly make of Jesus. In fact, he summarizes this obsession in a quote. This is what he says. I love this. He says, let us not glide through this world and then slip quietly into heaven without having blown the trumpet loud and long for our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. 
Let us see to it that the devil will hold a Thanksgiving service in hell when he gets the news of our departure from the battlefield. Don't you love that? He's like, let's live in such a way. Let's, let's sound the trumpet of the gospel so loud and so long that we make such a kingdom impact that hell throws a party when we depart the battlefield. But that should be the desire of every believer in this room. You see, the truth of this, the gospel is this. God loves us in our sin. He sent Christ to die for us so that we might be rescued reconciled to him, realigned to the life that he has created. And he's done this so that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we might live for the praise of his glory every day of our life until he takes us home. This is what Christ has done for us, and that should be what compels all of us. So the question is this, how do we live in such a way that we make a kingdom impact? I mean, practically speaking. Like, what does that look like for us? Well, Paul is gonna show us in the section that we're in, we're gonna look at verses 15 through 18. Leading up to this point, Paul has is, is, is called us to live a holy life, live a life that's different. Uh, we are rescued from darkness. We live now as kingdom citizens, people of the light. Live like that is his call. And then he tells us not only live like that, but expose the works of darkness. We talked about this last week, that we should expose the darkness of the world so that we can call those in darkness into the light just like Christ did for us, Amen. That's the kingdom impact that we're wanting to live out. And so the question is, how do we do it? Well, Ephesians 5 is gonna help us understand this. Verse 15 through 18. If you're there, say the Bible is true. He says, that was pathetic, by the way. That was like, <laughs> I'm not even gonna have you say it again. All right, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time or the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. I wanna make four applications from this passage that Paul shares with us ways that we can make a kingdom impact. How do we live this life? Four applications. Number one, write this down if you're taking notes. The first one is this. We need to pay close attention to our lifestyle. Pay, pay close attention to your lifestyle. Look what he says in verse number 15. He literally says this. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Uh, the word walk here is, is a word that Paul uses repeatedly throughout the scripture here in Ephesians. Walk is the concept of lifestyle. It's the conduct. It's the way that you live. It's your conversation. It's your conduct. It's every area of your life, your lifestyle. So he's saying, look, you need to look carefully at your lifestyle. Look intently. That's the phrase there. When he says look carefully, th this is a phrase that, that, that literally means to intensely and intentionally carefully examine your life. Pay attention to what you're living for. Pay attention to the habits that you've developed. Pay attention to the way in which you're acting publicly and privately. Look and, and take, take account for your life. This is the call that he's making to us. Now, this is important because we understand that there are two different paths that we can take, and he tells us a different path. There is an unwise path and there is a wise path. You see, the unwise path in the scripture is when we live life on our own terms. But according to the scriptures, the wise path is when we live in submission to the life that Jesus has created for us. So, so what are we looking for when we look carefully at our life? We're trying to answer the question, am I living wise or am I living unwise? 
Am I living a life that's submitted to Jesus as my attitude and my actions and, and the intentions of my heart? Are they, are they wise? Are they, am I submitted to Jesus or am I living life on my own terms? Are there habits and things that I've allowed in my life that would be considered out of line or unwise? You see, ultimately, a life of wisdom is living a life where, where we look like Jesus, amen? So what is a life of wisdom? It's, a life of wisdom is, is where your life begins to look like the life of Christ. Christ personifies wisdom, why? Because Christ's life was in perfect alignment with the word of God. And so a better question that we're to answer as we examine our life is this simple question. What areas of my life do I not look like Jesus? What areas of my life do I not look like Jesus? That's how we carefully examine our conduct or our lifestyle. What areas of my life don't look like Jesus? Now, this is important because we know that the enemy is a schemer. Anybody know that? Like he catches us off guard. He wants to surprise us. He doesn't come out like there have been really no one that I've ever met that it woke up that maybe they're addicted to heroin. That just woke up and like, you know what? I've never done drugs before. I'm gonna start with heroin. Right? Like nobody gets up one morning and just like, you know what? My marriage has been great. Everything has been absolutely amazing. I'm spiritually healthy. I think I'm gonna walk out of my family today. Like it just didn't happen. What happens is this, is that the schemer begins to interject himself in our life in little small ways. And small things become big things. Big things become massive things. Those massive things, all of a sudden, we wake up one day and we make decisions we never intended to make. But because we weren't paying careful attention to our lifestyle, we drifted. Sin is subtle. Sin is very subtle, and it creeps into our life if we go unguarded. Let me just kind of show you the trajectory and the course. This is what sin does in our life. Follow this, this, this train of thought. Here's what I mean. An unguarded spiritual life will lead to momentary compromise. Momentary compromise, if unchecked, will result in sinful habits. Sinful habits that go undealt with will become an ungodly or unwise lifestyle. And so it starts way back here, and it takes us way down here off course, and the unwise person gets to where they are because they have an unguarded life. So look carefully. What sins trip you up? What are temptations that the enemy continues to get you in your life? What are the bents that you have that you need to be aware of so that you can begin to see those things before the enemy traps you? Are you, are you following me? See, this is what it means to pay careful attention. Don't just acknowledge that you sin. Learn why. Learn how. Look at trends. Examine your life to ask yourself the question, are there compromises that make me look like the world rather than looking like Jesus? This is practically applied in my life. I, I know my sin struggles. I know the tendencies that I have in my life. And there, there are a lot of the sin struggles that we have, if we're honest, we, we see those things repeated in, in various ways and expressions. And so there's some decisions that you make around it. So one of the things, a guardrail, because I've carefully examined my life, a decision that I've made is this. I never, rarely, I'll say this, rarely under any circumstances do I ever travel alone. Like with what I do, a lot of times I get to go and, and speak at different places or attend conferences and be away from my family and, and, and stay in hotel rooms in another city, another community. 
And here's what I've learned about me. I, I, I don't want to travel alone. Here's why. I've paid careful attention of my life. And here's what I know about me. Unguarded time or unaccountable, unaccountable time, time will lead me into unhealthy thinking. It will lead me down paths of temptation where I'll want to look at something that I shouldn't look at or I wanna let my mind go to places that it shouldn't go. Now, how I know that? I've carefully examined my life and I'm seeing patterns of behavior through the years that the Lord has delivered me from, but I also know that the enemy is a schemer and if he got me before, he can get me again. And so what do I do? I put guardrails around my life. So when I go and I travel, I try to take someone with me at all costs. Why? It's because I don't wanna be unwise. I don't wanna be unguarded. I wanna carefully examine my, my decisions and my choices so that the enemy doesn't have a foothold in my life that will eventually destroy me. No pastor ever wants to abandon his post, but they do every day. Why? Because they don't carefully examine their life. Brothers and sisters, listen. You can be a Christian for 40 years and have the godliest walk, but if you begin to let subtle compromises in your life because you refuse to carefully examine your life, listen, you can come to spiritual ruins. Just ask King David, a man after God's own heart, adultery and murder, and it cost him everything in his family. What led to that? It wasn't the sin with Bathsheba. It was the subtle disobedience months before that that led to that sin. Carefully examine. The, the phrase there, carefully examine or carefully look or look carefully um, is in the present active imperative. It's a command and it's to be continual and you are to do it. So there needs to be those rhythms. That's number one. Pay close attention to your lifestyle. Here's number two. Make the most of everyday moments. You wanna make a kingdom impact? Make the most of everyday moments. Listen to how literal this is. Verse 16. He says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now, this phrase here, make the best use of your time, uh, literally is a market term that means to buy it up, to buy it up or to redeem. The picture is maybe you're making a purchase and you wanna make the best deal possible. And so you wanna, if there's a great deal on a sale of something you need, buy it up capitalize on the sale. Make the best deal you can possibly make. That's the implication here. It's the idea is to redeem something. Now, what are we trying to redeem? What are we making the best use of? The answer is time. Now, something interesting about this word time, there are two words in the Greek that could have been used here in this passage. The, the, the word chronos, which is where we get our English word, what would you think? Chronology, right? So a sequence of time. So when we think of time, chronos would be, what time is it? And you look and you say, well, it's, it's, it's 10, 14. So that's chronos time. It's a time that's measured by seconds and minutes, right? So but the word he uses here is not chronos. When he says make the best use of your time, he's not saying have a great schedule. The word he uses is, 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 is kairos. The word kairos means season of time, allotted time, opportune time. Here's the emphasis here. When he says make the best use of your time, what he's reminding us is this simple truth. Every single one of us have an expiration date. There is a season called life that we've been given. We have been given a lot at a time. The Bible says it is appointed a man once to die and after this the judgment. 
And God has placed us strategically, listen to this, where we are, when we are, right? We're here right now, 2023, for a purpose. There is an allotted time that God has assigned for your life, and that allotted time is right now. And here is what Paul is saying. In light of eternity and in light of the season that's called life that you have, make sure that you make the best use of it. Don't waste your life is the point. Maximize everyday moments, recognizing that you are where you are, when you are, for a reason and a purpose. Sometimes I watch the news and I'm looking at the chaos of the world and I'm like, why in the world did I have to live in this season, right? Like, why, why now? You know why? I can say this about me and I can say this about you. We have been appointed for such a time as this. There is an allotted time, a season, that God has said, look, I'm gonna give you, listen, I'm gonna give you a birth date and an expiration date. You didn't choose the first, you're not gonna choose the second. I've chosen that for you. So between that date and that date that you don't know when it's gonna be, don't waste your life. Live for what matters. Maximize every moment, every day. You see, it's in the subtle, everyday moments of life. So when you go to the grocery store, recognize something that, or if you do go to the grocery store, maybe a better thing is not when you're, you know, I used to say stuff like when you're next to the person in the checkout line, now it's like when you're sitting next to the person in the pickup line, right? Um, when you go to the ballpark, when you go to your classroom, when you go to your office, when you, wherever you go, listen, be aware of something. You're gonna come into contact everywhere you go with hundreds of people, either directly or indirectly, right? And here's what Paul would say. Make the best use of your time. Make every moment count. Recognize in this moment, every person you come in contact with, they are going to spend an eternity apart from Christ or they're gonna spend eternity with Christ. Those who have submitted to his grace and mercy and received his Lord and Savior, they're gonna spend an eternity with him reconciled in heaven forever. Those who have not trusted him as Lord and Savior, they're severed from him and if they don't repent, they will receive the wrath that he has stored up for them and forever they will be separated in a place called hell. Every person, everywhere you go, they have one of two destinations, heaven or hell. And how do you not know that God has placed you in that crossroads of life so that you can be the one to show them which destination they should choose? Everyday moments. The waiter at the restaurant, the waitress at the restaurant, the kids on the team that your kid plays on, kid in the classroom, the teacher that you have. You've been given a season called life, which means that God has divinely placed you and appointed you where you are for his divine purposes. Don't miss the moment. Don't miss the moment. And that requires us, it makes us look at our life completely different. It makes us reorder the things that matter. It doesn't mean that we don't, like, we don't engage in everyday life. It just means that we engage differently. Does that make sense? doesn't mean that we don't play sports or we don't, you know, go on vacations or we don't go out to, it means that we leverage all of that. In fact, C.T. Studd, whenever he was asked about like, like why he walked away from cricket, he, he made it very clear that cricket's not the problem. 
And in fact, this is his quote. When he was asked about this, he says, I do not say don't play games or cricket and, and so forth. By all means, play and enjoy them. Give thanks to Jesus for them. Only take care that games do not become an idol to you as they did for me. This is his encouragement. He says, what good, oh, good, what, what good will it do anybody in the next world to have been the best there's ever been or the best player there's ever been? That makes sense. Like, what does it matter in eternity to anyone just to be the best player's ever been? And then think of the difference between that and winning souls to Jesus. Now, here, what is he saying? Is look, we, we debate all the time, like, who's the greatest basketball player? Who's the greatest baseball? Who's the greatest football player? Can I tell you a debate that's not happening in hell? No one cares who the goat is. In heaven, no one's talking about, hey, who do y'all think? Let's take, a, let's take a poll. Like, like, who do you think's the greatest sports player ever? Like, no one's doing that in heaven or hell. Why? Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. And those type of things, while we might applaud them, they don't even get mentioned in eternity. And yet so many of us, we consume our lives chasing things that will never be remembered in the life to come, which is, by the way, the real life, the lasting life. So what he's saying is, is don't, don't not engage in those type of things. Leverage them for something greater. Did you love your teammates? Did you win them to Christ? Did you glorify Christ? Did you take the position or the promotion or the neighborhood or the things that God blessed you with? And did you maximize them in a way that made much of him? We will either make ourselves great our name great, or we'll make Jesus' name great. But there's only one name that's gonna be talked about as great in the life to come, and that's not ours. How do we maximize the moment? We recognize that, and we live with an urgency. Here's number three. Make the most of everyday, mom uh, take, make the most of everyday moments. Be guided by the word. Be guided by the word. Look what he says here in verse 17. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Again, Paul is coming back to this contrast between wise and unwise. And rather than saying unwise, he says what unwise is, which is foolish. So he's showing us here we should be living a, a life of, of wisdom rather than a life of foolishness. Now, what is it? how do we avoid this? How do we avoid a life of foolishness? Well, he gives us the answer. Notice this. Therefore, do not be foolish. How do we not be foolish? Understand what the will of the Lord is. That's how you can avoid a life of foolishness, by understanding the will of the Lord. Now, eyes right here for a second. When we talk about the will of the Lord, this little phrase here, this is the big statement that stumps many believers with their life. Here's why. When we think about the will of the Lord, far too often we think about the mysterious will of God, the unknown future. How many of you have ever pondered when you were younger I wonder who I'm gonna marry. Some of you are still in that season. Who am I gonna marry? Anybody ever ponder that? What kind of career am I gonna, I wonder what God has for me. Anybody ever ask the question, I wonder what God's plan is for my life? Raise your hand if that's you. Okay, yeah, so you've, that's the mysterious will of God. Most of us, when we think about the will of God, this is what we think about. We're trying to discover the unknown, but that's not what Paul is emphasizing here. When he says, don't be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord, Rather than pursuing the mysterious will of God, we need to be looking toward the revealed will of God. What is the revealed will of God? It is his word. You see, this book reveals to us how to live. 
God's will for us is revealed in his word. So if you wanna know what is God's will for my life, he wants you to be so saturated with this book that you understand him and his ways and his plans for you and that you align your life with his will. So understand the will of the Lord simply means walk in obedience to the will he's already received, you've already received in his word. And here's what I've discovered. You wanna know the mysterious will of God? Walk in the revealed will of God. You see, so many of us, we get so bogged down into the unknown that we don't obey the known. You see, this, this book reveals to us God's plans, his desires, the way we're supposed to live our life, the things we're supposed to do, the things we're supposed to avoid, God's will for everyday life. It reveals that. And here's, here's what I've learned. When you press into the word, the word gets pressed into you. And as the word gets pressed into you, the word begins to guide and inform the decisions you make, how you live and what you live for. How are we conformed into the image of Christ? In a minute, we're gonna talk about being filled with the Spirit. The, the, the synonymous passages in Colossians where he says, be filled with the Spirit. In Colossians, he says, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. So how do we have the Spirit of God transforming us from the inside out? It is by the word of God richly dwelling in us. So let me show you how this plays itself out. A, a lot of my life, I've wondered the mysterious will of God. So let's just say this little green tape here is, is where I am today. This is where I wanna be 10 years or where I'm gonna be 10 years from now. I don't know where this is. And I have people all the time asking this question, especially to students that are going into ministry. Pastor, like, how did you know you wanted to do what you were doing? How did you, like, like was this always your plan to be a pastor of a church like New Beginnings and, and do the things that you're doing? And, and I have to be honest and say no. And in fact, when God called me to ministry, here's what I said. I said, Yes, but I don't want to be a pastor. Like, I don't want to pastor. I don't want to work at a church. That was what I said. I'll go into ministry. I don't want to work at a church because I've been a part of a few and it was not a good experience. And then I said, okay, Lord, if you want me to work at a church or pastor a church, don't, like, I don't want to pastor a Baptist church. This is spoken from right now, currently, I get the privilege of being the president of the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention. Like the irony of God in that. I don't wanna work at a church. I don't wanna, I don't wanna work at a Baptist church. So people say, how did you know? I didn't know. Here's what I learned through the years. What I learned through the years is if I wanna end up in the mysterious will of God, I walk in the known will today. It's one act of obedience after the other. So if I'm here and God has this plan out there and I don't know where out there is, how do I get to that place where I know what out there is? Listen, here's the answer. It's one step of obedience after the other. What I've learned is that if I will walk in the known, revealed will that is shown in the word of God and to the best of my ability, strive to align my life up with what I already know, I will get to where I don't know. God will place me on the path that he desires so I don't have to know the destination to get there. All I gotta know is the next step. 
And the next step is I wake up in the morning and I let God's word guide my steps and guide my thoughts and guide my decisions. And how do I respond to this? And how do I share here? And and what's the position I take here? And how do I avoid this? All of that is informed by what God has clearly revealed. So when you become a person of the word, watch this, you become a person in his will, which then leads us to that destination. And we go, I would never would have imagined I don't even know how I got here. And God's like, you just followed me. What you knew, you did. And when you failed, you confessed. And then you submitted and kept walking in obedience. And and submission to that will leads you to the plan that God has for your life. Does that make sense? Make a kingdom impact doesn't mean you have to know the end from the beginning. It just means you've got to maximize the moment today and submit to his word. Which leads me to number four. Number four is this. this is, and this is the one that brings all, all of those together, all of these together, is we need to live a spirit-filled life. We need to live a spirit-filled life. Notice what he says here in verse 18. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. Now, I've got to confess I so want to preach verse 18 through 21 today, and I can't. And it has been crushing me all week uh, because this is one of my favorite sections. I think probably one of the most transformational passages in my entire life and ministry is this passage. But I'm coming back in a couple of months, Lord willing, and preaching a series on the Holy Spirit. We're going to come back to this. And so today, I'm just going to kind of give you some nuggets in here that help us what we're talking about today. How do we live a life of kingdom impact? Here's what he says. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, he does this by contrast. Now, notice this. And do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I think there's two things Paul is doing, and one is being, I think, is the emphasis over the other. Now, Paul is giving a command here to not get drunk with wine. Drunkenness is a sin. So if you want to walk in the will of God, avoid drunkenness, period. Like It's not his will for a believer to be under the influence of anything other than the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, now, drinking is a wisdom issue. Some of you should never drink because you can't drink in moderation. Some of you should never drink because of your witness. But I'm not gonna give you a command that the Bible doesn't explicitly give, but I will tell you the command that the Bible does give. Don't be drunk and don't allow what you consume to hinder your ministry and impact in the life of others. That makes sense? So that's, that, is, that is in there. Drunkenness is a sin. But I don't think that's the emphasis that he's making here the most. I think what he's doing is he's giving a contrast. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. It'll lead to a life of sin, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So notice the, notice the contrast here. Don't be drunk with wine. How does a person get drunk with wine? You consume wine or drink or strong drink, and you, you abide in alcohol, and eventually alcohol abides in you. And now whatever abides in you controls you. That's why when they say you were under the influence, right? What does that mean? It means that you are not in control. The alcohol was in control. It impaired your normal behavior into abnormal behavior. Is that track? You tracking along with that? So to get drunk means you drink alcohol, you consume it, you abide it until it abides in you. To stay drunk means you keep drinking. So then you stay in that state by continuing to take in and abide in that thing that controls you. And, the, and as you continue in it, you stay in it and it stays in control. You track it. 
So contrast, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It is to abide in the Spirit, submit to the Spirit, surrender to the Spirit, consume the Spirit until the Spirit consumes you. To abide in the Spirit so that the Spirit then abides in you. And here's what happens. As you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit begins to alter your natural behavior into that which is supernatural. It begins to impair your normal behavior so that now you're under the influence of what is abnormal, which is now the life of Christ in you. So to be filled with the Spirit means to be consumed or filled or abide until the Spirit abides in you. To stay filled with the Holy Spirit means that you continue in that surrendered state so that He continues to consume your life. So here's, here's the contrast. Whatever you're filled with will impact how you live. Whatever permeates you is what will flow out of you. So what flows out of us when we're filled with the Spirit? Now, we wanna make a kingdom impact. The greatest kingdom impact that has ever been made is by who? By Jesus Christ himself. Somebody should say amen to that even if you are asleep. Hello, thank you, okay. Jesus is the greatest kingdom influencer ever, right? So when you're filled with the Spirit, what comes out of our life? The life of Jesus. Jesus spills. So to be permeated with the Holy Spirit the number one characteristic that you're gonna display is the life of Jesus. It's Christ's life being lived through you by the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. So now you have a supernatural power. And hear me say this, believers, you were never intended to live the Christian life in your own strength and power. God's plan for you, his will for you, is for you to do great things for his name by his power, not your own, because you can't do great things in your power. But the greater news is that you don't have to. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God begins to work in you and then through you, and now Christ is seen and known, and your life makes a difference because it's Christ's life, not yours. This is so transformational because so many of us, we leave our house every day, we're like, ah, I wanna make a kingdom impact. I wanna make a difference. I wanna live the life Christ wants me to live. And by noon, we've failed 100 times. Or is that just my story? So is the problem I need to work harder? No. The problem is I gotta surrender more. But be filled with the Holy Spirit in the original language. I'm, I'm preaching way more on this than I want to is present passive imperative. Present passive, present means continual. Imperative means it's a command, but listen to this. Passive means it's being done in you, not by you. You can't fill yourself up with the spirit. Another way of translating this is that be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Be being filled. So how then do we, if we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit and we can't fill ourselves with the Spirit, then, then how do we obey this command? It is through surrender and submission. So I can't go into a lot about being filled with the Spirit, but let me give you two, two, two quick things I think that will help you begin the trajectory because that's gonna be the invitation in a minute. Just go ahead and tell you right now. Number one, confess all known sin. You wanna be filled with the Holy Spirit? You gotta deal and repent is a part. Confess isn't just, oh, acknowledge. It's confess and repent. They go together. 
If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to be cleansed of those things that quench and grieve him. So you've got to keep a short account of your sin. The good news is your sin has been dealt with by the blood of Jesus Christ. God knows about your sin. He's already forgiven it. So what we do then is we deal with our sin in repentance because as, as God through the Spirit removes our sin, the Spirit then begins to backfill that space. But he will not share the occupancy of your life with the sin choices that you want to continue to live in. Does it mean you lose the Holy Spirit? No, it just means that you're not gonna be filled to the capacity that he wants to fill you. And no matter how filled you think you are, there's always more of him to have. So confess sin, here's number two. Because it's, go back to that passage, because it's verse 18. Because it's passive and not active, this is through surrender. This is why your prayer life is so, so essential. So it's confession of sin and it's continuing to have intimacy with Jesus in prayer. This is why Jesus says this to us in Luke. He says, ask, seek, and knock. And your, your father is a giver of good gifts. Now, what is a good gift that Jesus is talking about him giving us? He says, if you ask, if you seek, is knock. Your father, who's a good giver of gifts, wants to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this is why prayer is so essential. This is why we, we, God's presence is essential. We, we find God's presence in prayer. This is why prayer meeting is so important in New Beginnings. This is why your private prayer is so important. We want to be a people and persons who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Prayer is the means by which we surrender and submit to the filling, and we ask for it, and we surrender to it. And then as he fills us, we abide letting him have control of our life. And then, then it's just the journey of listening. Uh, Paul would say in Galatians, keep in step with the Spirit. That's what it means to walk in the feeling of the Holy Spirit. And this is, tr this is so transformational. And I'll just tell you, that the idea is this. It's, you cannot, you cannot do the other three. You cannot pay close attention to your lifestyle without the Holy Spirit. Why? How do we pay close attention to our lifestyle? Is that we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and we take moments of examination and we're not just reflecting in our own mind because we'll overlook things. We're asking the Holy Spirit, would you shine the holiness of Jesus into our life and show us that which is unholy? And here's what happens. Through the filling of the Holy Spirit, God begins to show you areas where you don't look like Jesus. How do we make the most of everyday moments in our life? How do we do that? By being filled with the Spirit. And as the Spirit leads us and guides us, He's gonna show us who to speak to and how to speak to Him and how to respond and where those moments are so that as we submit to the Holy Spirit, we just do what He says in the moment. How do we take God's word and let it be our guide? The Holy Spirit that inspired the word wants to illumine the word. And so when we walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, God's word becomes alive in us. He gives us supernatural understanding so that we can then apply it appropriately. That is impossible. All three of them are impossible apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you, this is, this is what changed this is what changed my life. I, I, I've been in ministry now. I'm, I'm working on year 25. God started transforming my life in 1998, and toward the end of 1998, I started pursuing ministry, and I knew this is what God wanted to do with my life after I had my first church job. 
And so in 1999 was really, I was brand new. Like, here's what I, I didn't know where God was going to take me and what God wanted to do. I just knew, man, I, he did something in my life that I couldn't, I was pent up and I had to let it out. I began to fall in love with his word. I began to desire to make a kingdom impact. I didn't know what God wanted to do with my life. I just knew he had a plan and I wanted to be a part of it. And, and I'll never forget that, that that year in 1999 was such a, a, a crazy year because I was trying to, I was preaching everywhere I could find a place to let me preach. I remember going to preaching, uh, I was in a part of a preaching program for, the, um, for, for school and one of my first preaching gigs, man, I wrote a sermon that was gonna bring revival. I'm talking, I'm gonna preach the paint off the wall. And I get in, man, all 19, 20 year old of me, right? And I walk in and there were 14 senior adults around a table and I'm like, oh, okay. Not that I had a problem preaching to senior adults. I, I was going to give it to whoever I had, but I didn't think maybe 14 people around a table. They said, what did you do? Man, I preached this my guts out the most awful sermon ever. That's what I did. And I preached youth revivals and everywhere I could go. I just wanted God to use my life. And I'll never forget, I was kind of going to this man that's still a lot of sin being worked out of my life and uncertainty of how God wanted to use me. And I'll never forget this. I, I, this, is, this is etched in my mind. 1999, I'm back home in Camden, Arkansas, my hometown. And I was driving out. I was taking a class at one of the local colleges there for the summer. And I was driving out there. And I, was, I remember I was in my brother's green Explorer. He had a five-disc CD changer in there. It was bad to the bone. Some of y'all don't even know what that is. And there was this worship album that I was listening to. And in the middle of this worship album, there was this, this song, and, and it was a live album, and the worship leader stopped singing, and he began to quote a passage of Scripture. And I'll never forget it. It was John 15, 5. And these are the words that I heard driving down the road, and I was just praying asking God, God, what do you want to do? Like, I, I want to be used, and I just, I want to know what you have for my life and how to, how to be used. I don't even know what it even looks like to be used. And these words, through the radio, this is what it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, I'm telling you, that word pierced my heart. Like I literally, like I felt like my breath take away and begin to sense the Holy Spirit working. And so I just rewound that part and I listened to it again. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. And then these words were so loud. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I rewound it. I am the vine, you are the branches. If anyone abide in me and I, I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I rewound it again. I pulled over to the side of the road. This moment, I'm rewinding and I'm listening and I am sobbing. And I never forget just saying, God, this is what I want. This is the life that I want. I want a life that produces fruit. And I'm recognizing, I don't, I don't even, even in that moment, I feel like even now, in the past three years, God is truly showing me what this means. But even back then on the front end of ministry, here's what God was saying. I, I, I am the one who has to do it, not you. You want your life to matter. Abide in me and I'll abide in you. And just like a branch cannot 
cannot produce fruit apart from the vine. You can't produce fruit apart from me. You can do absolutely nothing for the kingdom of God. I mean, it wrecked me in the best way possible. And that was a defining moment in my life that has led to a series of those type of moments in my life. But I've never outgrown that. Believe it, listen to me. You, you want to live a life of kingdom impact? Here's what Jesus says. Abide in me. I'll abide in you. And I in you will produce fruit you could never imagine. But never, listen to this, father, husband, wife, mother, employee, employer, student, teacher, coach, player, hear this, Jesus' words, apart from me, you can do nothing. So how does he abide in us? In that same passage, he begins to introduce us to the work of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to abide in him, for him to abide in us? It means be filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, the Spirit in us begins to produce spiritual fruit through us, and now our lives are being used to impact the kingdom of God for the glory of Jesus. You want that for your life? Here's the response this morning, very simple response today. If you don't know Christ, you gotta make a decision to follow him. You can't live a life of kingdom impact if you're not in the kingdom. So for some of you, you need to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You need to give him your life. Trust him today. Trust him as Lord and Savior. Stop playing the church game and get serious about Christ and die to yourself and trust him today as your only hope. He will transform you like you couldn't believe. But for those of you who, who know him, here are the two questions that I want you to answer this morning. And we're gonna have a time of response. We have decision encouragers in a moment come. What area of your life doesn't look like Jesus? What area of your life, it can be small or great, what area of your life doesn't look like Jesus? Are you willing to do with it? Are you willing to deal with it today? I mean, today is the day. Make the most of every moment. You got a season. You don't know when it's gonna be over. So today is what matters. Deal with that. And the second question you need to answer is, do I really want to be filled with the Spirit? Because if the answer is yes, you can be. And if the answer is yes, I wanna be here, I would say is that it starts with a surrender. It starts with a confession and repentance of anything that would quench the spirit and then you just choosing daily to say, Jesus, I want your spirit to fill me to the fullest and guide my steps every step of the way. You say, well, is that easy? Yeah, it's that easy. It's not simple. It's challenging. And there's gonna be rough days, but it is easy. Because he does the work. Our job is just to surrender and get out of the way. So that's what I want us to do. If you need Christ, come. If you have sin in your life, confess it. If you want the filling of the Holy Spirit, then come and just say, Jesus, I want that. I want that life. And then make that choice today and tomorrow and the next day and every moment of your life. Father, I submit this time to you and ask that you would move in this place like only you can. God, I pray this altar will be filled with people who have a true yearning and desire to make a kingdom impact. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen.